0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am your host, Doug Sweeney. I am here with a very special guest, the Reverend Dr. Ivan Rusin, the president of the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary near Kiev. He is spending a little time in the United States now, uh, educating friends here about what's going on in Ukraine and uh, rallying support for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. One year ago, on February 24th, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine. Today's guest was living in Bukha, a suburb of Kyiv, shepherding a seminary when this took place. Since that time, his school has been shelled by Russian bombs. His people have been dispersed. His life has been turned upside down. But he remains faithful, courageous, and determined today to honor God and care well for the people God has given him to serve. He is at Beeson this week, educating our community on what's going on and seeking our support for the work that lies ahead. So thank you very much, Dr. Rusin, for being with us. It's an honor to have you on the program today.
1: It's a great privilege for me to be here today.
0: Would you please tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? We want to get into the current situation in Ukraine in a few minutes, uh, but for now, who are you how did you come to faith in Christ, and how did you become the president of a seminary in Ukraine?
1: Um, I was born in a Christian family. It was under Soviet Union, a theistic regime. So I was led to Christ by my grandma, and my responsibility was to read a New Testament for her. This is the way how I became a Christian, and I, and I always wanted to be a minister, to serve the Lord. So, in 1997, I went to study in the seminary, and some years later, I become a president of the seminary. So, I have a a leadership role, and also I am involved in teaching. I teach missiology, and also I am involved in church planning.
0: You sound like a busy person, even without a war. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about your school? What kind of seminary is it? What kinds of churches do you serve? What kinds of students do you serve at the seminary? Yeah, we
1: are interdenominational seminary. We try to serve white evangelical community. So we have students and faculty members from different evangelical churches. Sometimes we might have students from a Catholic or Orthodox Church. And we are serving the church in Ukraine and also beyond Ukraine. And we are serving uh, the church in a predominantly Muslim context in Central Asia.
0: So this is the scope of our ministry. You've been president for a long time? 10 years. 10 years. So for the first 9 years things were more or less normal. Tell us a little bit about the history in your context leading up to the Russian invasion. Did you uh, obviously the Russians have been Bothering Ukraine for quite a long time, but did you experience much of that in your school? What was things like at your school before one year ago?
1: Yeah, two years after I became a president we had the revolution of dignity and immediately after that revolution in 2014 Russia annexed Crimea and started war at the east part of Ukraine So we already experienced this problem. Then we had First wave of pandemic, second wave of pandemic, and now war. So my leadership is in you know, a interesting time, and uh, we received a lot of signals from um, different governments, like from United States and European countries, about uh, war. And of course, we tried to be ready for that. We developed um, like a crisis plan. But we didn't believe, because it was so, like, who will start the war in 2022 outside? Like, come on. However, on 24th of February, our life was changed.
0: Do you have many students or churches uh, connected to your seminary in Crimea? In 2014, was there a big effect on your school based on what was going on?
1: Yes, we were involved in uh, mission projects in Crimea. Uh, we have been serving to Crimean Tatars. We have, we had churches planted and I had to visit Crimea after annexation. It was very emotionally difficult uh, experience for me when you have to give your passport to a Russian soldier who just came and annexed your territory. So it affected us, but also it broadened our ministry because in 2014, we had a lot of refugees on our campus. We had to reshape our programs, and also a new opportunity was opened to have uh, military chaplains, which is absolutely new thing for us in Ukraine. So in our seminary we developed uh, uh, academic initiatives and programs in order to equip Christians to be present uh, among our army and to serve our soldiers.
0: So, what differences did the annexation of Crimea make for your curriculum, your ministries of the seminary?
1: Uh, We lost connection with some of our churches, with some of our students, and also questions about war, uh, pacifism, chaplaincy, Mm -hmm. forgiveness, Mm -hmm. resistance, citizenship become very important. And we learned that we are not ready. You know, uh, we felt for a while that we have a big bag of answers for questions people never ask. So how do we make our training relevant? How can we help our students to be equipped for the new context? Not just with, you know, superficial spiritual answers, but with, you know, competent, profound um, answers. So it was an interesting uh, experience which prepared us for this full-scale war. Uh,
0: And then a year ago, uh, after the invasion, what happened at your school? How did the Russian invasion affect you? I've referred at the the top of the show to the bombing of your school. uh, But what else happened? Did the people have to flee right away? Did your male students have to go fight right away? Uh, What happened?
1: It changed our life profoundly. Um, I had opportunity to visit our campus on 24th. So we implemented our like, crisis plan. Uh, but next day, I was not able to come to the seminary again because the bridge between Bucha and Ki was exploded. So I was locked in basement in Bucha for a few days while faculty and some students, they were on campus. And uh, Russians, they were less than five miles away from the seminary just on the first day of the war. So we could see Russian helicopters, tanks, jets, and this is a full-scale wild war, as you can imagine. And, you know, in Ukraine, you can meet, uh, you can see different emotions, a lot of tears, uh, and suffering, but you will never see a fear. Uh, we, ha- we, we do not fear, because until now Russia has used everything they have besides nuclear stuff. So there is nothing that they can surprise us with. So uh, I had to navigate seminary from a bomb shelter. It was hard, it was difficult. Um, Out of 50 uh, workers of our seminary, only two stayed in their own apartments. Most of them were refugees, some of them abroad. Uh, We have our students that are fighting in the army, they are serving the army. Unfortunately, we have graduates who are killed, who are murdered, and um, I had to lead the funeral. So um, our campus was hit by six Russian missiles. I would never imagine that our campus would be hit by real missiles. We were <laughs> hit, it. we were shaken, maybe even fall down. But then God gave us strength to stand up and to continue our ministry. So uh, we resumed teaching process uh, in the end of March, and uh, online, of course. And we realized that it is an extremely healing uh, experience for our students and even for ourselves. Later, maybe in April, I had a chance to come back to a campus and I was teaching from my office. There was no windows, no glasses because of explosion. And when I told students that, can you imagine I am in my office? So they started to cry <laughs> and I started to cry. So um, we were able to start new programs here in, in, in Ukraine and also in Central Asia and we developed a significant relief ministry because of the support that we received from international communities. So now uh, we are doing a uh, like holistic ministry in Ukraine. So it is a profound impact. We have a lot of excuse to give up, you know, to hide, but somehow with our team we said, you know, we will fight. We will continue our mission and it will be like our prophetic
0: stand against this war. So so when you resume classes online n- normal classes? I mean students still doing degree program uh, on- online or were there new things that you were doing with the students? Both. You know, education is crucial.
1: Even like psychologically. It was so important for us to do things like we do, we did in when it was normal. And also, there immediately a huge need in new programs, trauma healing. There is a so huge, big, and deep trauma in Ukraine. Okay, how do we equip our churches, our people, that they will help in this? So, we develop a short term uh, trauma healing program. And now I think we have fourth or fifth cohort of that program. So the, the main reason or aim of that program, how do we help our people to define, okay, here I can help. Oh, this is a serious problem. I have to navigate person to a more, like, to a better expert. Because trauma is such deep that you cannot play with it. So, and also we developed a few programs for pastors. The question is, how do we equip pastors to serve in this environment, in some, for example, I have a friend. He is he is a pastor in a church, and uh, they decided that they will have no sermons for a few months, just prayer. And I asked him, like, why? Why you made such, such decision? And he said, you know, I just wanted to be honest with myself and with my people. I I don't know what to say. So the best what I can do is just just pray. So how do we train pastors that they can serve in such context? We need to develop a new set of expertise, and through such programs we try to equip uh, our pastors. Another initiative that we have, we try to bring uh, teams from churches, and we try to help them to see what kind of initiatives they can start in their local communities in order to care about those communities and transform them. So, and God blessed us. And it's, you know, it's interesting experience when you don't have windows, you know, a lot of scars uh, on your campus. But people come and they uh, and they get education. We, we have some a cohort of students that come for our campus. We don't want uh, students, all of them, to come because it's not safe. We have uh, rockets flying over our heads sometimes. There is a siren, so we have to run and uh, hide in shelters. But still, for us, when we are present on a c- in our campus, it's also like, uh, you know, we see, we see like a God's promise that everything will be OK. Mm.
0: Have many of your students lost access to the internet, or the internet's been relatively stable?
1: Uh, most of them lost. Um, all like every uh, home in Ukraine is 12 hours without power every day and you are considered as a blessed one if just 12 hours so uh, sometimes people do not have access so we record everything now we have generators and uh, we have Starlink uh, so if there is no power we use generator and Starlink so we can uh, have teaching and we had to learn how to how to uh, uh, organize educational process in this environment. But education is, first of all, education is important because it helps us to to see what kind of ministry we must have in this situation. Hermeneutics is crucial. Then also, it is important for us, for our souls. When we are involved in teaching, we see our students, we see our faculty, It's a a healing healing process.
0: Well, Ukraine is a big country, of course, and some people are closer to the fighting at any given time than others. But um, I, I think it would help our listeners to kind of pray with the right kind of mindset if they could hear just a few stories about what pastors are dealing with, what church life is like now. Clearly, if you're in a context where is just fighting, 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 I, I mean, I, I would think that means you're not having congregational meetings. But probably in many other parts of the country, churches are still meeting. How, how is it going? What should we be thinking about as we pray for churches in Ukraine? The most
1: sustainable and reliable institution in Ukraine now is the church. We had so many witnesses when the city was occupied, so of course Ukrainian government, police, army, they must leave. The only community that remained was a church. So now churches in Ukraine, they are centers of life because they have generator, people can come, they can have food, water, medicine, they can charge phones uh, and computers. So churches are doing... a uh, Significant ministry. I'm so uh, proud to see what churches are doing. And of course, we have uh, our services. Sometimes, like almost every Sunday, we have rockets heading to Kiev, but we are gathering together. And uh, we are serving as church, not just in the places where we are, but we also want to go to the war zone to the east part of Ukraine. significant element of our ministry is a ministry to our soldiers. So I and my team, uh, in partnership with the Ukrainian Bible Society, we are going to the east part of Ukraine. We spend time with soldiers. We serve them, we pray with them, we serve them communion. And it is a very interesting experience to serve communion in a forest. Sometimes you can hear uh, combat, but uh, we know that this is our responsibility. And we are doing not because we are responsible. We want, we want to do it. So at this moment, church brings hope. And it's so funny. We want to thank soldiers. Oh, thank you for, for doing your ministry. And soldiers say, no, no, no. Thank you that you are present. So when we are present, people, they, they have hope. Oh, church is here. So if church is here, we think Jesus is, is among us. So it is crucial for church to be incarnated and to suffer in the same way as our society suffers. So it makes us authentic and uh, churches are growing. So
0: What we read about in the newspapers in the U.S. or see online, uh, here on the U.S. with respect to Ukraine now is that the government asks the younger men, the men who can fight to stay, don't, don't go. Uh, but they allow others to go. And I'm imagining that means there are some other people from your seminary who have fled the country, uh, maybe in Poland or they're, they're living somewhere else. Do you, do you have a way of keeping up with them? Do you know how to, pray for them? How to care for them? Or are you simply waiting for the war to end and people to come back before you really understand how their lives have been?
1: In Ukraine we have a martial law and from 24th of February a man which is between 18 and 65 has no legal rights to leave Ukraine. It's impossible. So every man remain in Ukraine and can be called uh, to to army. You may ask what I'm doing in the United States, how I left Ukraine. So this is the confirmation that churches are doing great job in Ukraine. Our government recognized how profound and important our ministry is. And our president issued a law which grants me opportunity to travel abroad. So I write a letter to our government, and they give me uh, permission, and I can leave. So for me, this is a great encouragement that even government, they recognize how crucial church is in this moment. Yes, millions of Ukrainians left Ukraine. Millions of families are divided because of war. Wife and children can be you know, abroad, husband is in Ukraine for almost 12 12 months. And of course many Christians, they are called to serve in the army. We have faculty members that are serving and we we pray for them and uh, it seems that a very heavy battle ahead of us. And it seems that more of us will be called to serve in the army. And uh, if we will receive that call, we will go. So at this, until now, when uh, our, <laughs> our faculty they go as a volunteers to army office, they say, you know, we, you know, if you need us, we, we are ready. Usually after, uh, you know, the research what they are doing and they say, you know, you are more effective in what you are doing. So just continue to do relief ministry. But it seems that there will be a huge battle uh, in Ukraine and uh, we might end up in, in the army.
0: So, uh, next week, I believe, you fly back to Budapest, and then you find a way, maybe by car, to get into Ukraine. Uh, When you make it all the way back home, uh, and you get to the school, what do you expect the situation will be? What are you expecting to need to do right away as the president, as a gospel minister? I have
1: to catch up with all of my work. And we have some uh, important initiatives, educational initiatives, that we want to start in order to prepare uh, more pastors and leaders. And next 10 days, uh, we are promised to have like a f- new wave of escalation, so we are, we are waiting for that, uh, for that time. And um, I will be involved in the relief ministry, in teaching, leading, and also in church planting. I am a church planter, so. Mm.
0: Surely you can't plant a church during the war, can you?
1: Well, this is the best time to plant a church because people have such a big need in God. And uh, you do not play in these atheistic games when you have a war. And if church is authentic, if church suffers together with people, if church does not afraid hard questions, people come, people listen. So, uh, I am so happy that we started in church a few years ago. And, uh, you know, in Ukraine, uh, God is the only, only hope we have. If you compare Russian Federation and Ukraine, and frankly speaking, uh, I have no, I have no religious explanation how Kiev, why Kiev survived. The only answer that works for me, it was God. Our army was in east part of Ukraine, and Kiev was almost surrounded by the Russian army for more than a month. So, like every day, we thought, okay, this is our last day. This is our last day. And then they just disappear. So we say, (laughs) God, thank you. And uh, there is a very difficult future ahead of us after, after this war. And there is a huge responsibility of churches and seminaries. How do we navigate our society through lament, healing? And it's hard for me to say this word, but to forgiveness. I don't see other institution or community besides the Church that has capacity to facilitate that process. So I strongly convinced that without the Gospel, without the Church, our country has no, no future. I am so afraid that because of such deep violence and trauma, there's a danger that we might be hostages of this experience. So we have to help our society. We have to help ourselves to go through all of these phases, but to reach that freedom from, from you know, hatredness, from, from trauma. So there's a lot of work uh, to be done in future, and this is why I see that educational institutions like our seminary and other, we have a lot of work to do.
0: Many of our listeners have been praying for Ukraine for a long time and uh, this conversation, I I hope, will shape their prayer lives in the days ahead. Um, But uh, as we draw the conversation to a close, are there specific ways in which you want our people to pray for Ukraine these days?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, Please do not pray for peace. It's very diplomatic. We pray in Ukraine for just peace. We pray for victory because in our case, just peace is possible only after the, our victory. Very briefly, this war is not about land or territory. This war is about the very existence of the Ukrainian identity, freedom, democracy and justice. Unfortunately, there is no space for the Ukrainian identity under Russian dominion. They do not want to kill our bodies. They want to kill our soul. This is why Ukrainians fight, you know, as they fight. Mm -hmm. So uh, pray for just peace. Pray for us that we will be capable to protect our freedom. Our democracy, our identity, and pray for Ukrainian churches that we will have enough capacity to lead our society through this difficult time. There is no other community that has this calling and has this uh, capacity. So this is my uh, this is my uh, prayer request. And pray for Christian leaders that we would have strength, courage, and vision to serve in a way that our churches will bring blessing.
0: We will pray. Listeners, you have been listening to the Rev. Dr. Ivan Rusin. He is the president of Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary. Uh, We ask you to pray for him and for his school and for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And we say goodbye for now.